Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. I think no matter where you are, you have to do your due diligence. I've seen so many investors lose their shirt because they do not do their due diligence. And maybe that's just a very simple, basic answer, but it's such a major thing in the process. Best ever listeners, before we jump into today's episode, got two questions for you. And this is for my fix and flippers out there. One, are your financing costs eating away your bottom line? And two, are you looking for a way to increase your overall profits by reducing your loan payments to the bank or private lender? Of course you are, right? You're always looking to maximize the potential of your deal. So here's a solution. We got a solution for you through the crowdfunding platform, Patch of Land. If you're a loyal Best Ever listener, you know Patch of Land. They've been on the show many times. They've sponsored the show many times. They're back for more because they love you. They want to help you out. They want to add value to your life. And here's how they're going to do it. They have a solution to your financing issue of financing costs eating away from your bottom line. And they want to help you reduce your loan payments to the bank. So here we go. Patch of Land offers a fix and flip loan program that only charges interest on the funds that have been dispersed as opposed to tradition, the traditional model of lenders charging interest on the whole loan amount at the beginning. You save a lot of money this way, and it can be misleading when you get your terms quoted to you by the lender at a particular rate if they charge all the interest up front versus upon distributions. Patch of Land's got a document that you've got to check out if you're a fix and flipper to educate yourself on questions you should ask the lender. Regardless if you go with Patch of Land, you've got to get this document to educate yourself on the questions to ask your lender to make sure you're getting the best financing terms. The document's at patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. That's patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. Patch of Land, they can close in as little as seven days and they can help you through this program save thousands of dollars on your deals, make more money, and uh, have a better business and grow your fix and flip business. So go to patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluff with us today. Al Bean, how you doing, Al? I'm doing great, Joe. How are you? I'm doing great as well. Nice to have you on the show. Al is the founder and CEO of Pioneer Homes, which is a leading source for cash flow rental properties. Over the past seven years, he's closed more than 1,000 deals valued in excess of 
50 million buckaroos. He has clients all across six continents, which almost is all of the continents. I'm guessing Antarctica. Is Antarctica a continent? I think it is. I haven't done anything there. I, I figured that would be the one continent that you don't have. This is where my board game risk background comes into play <laughs> in yeah. my continents. And Al is based in Detroit, Michigan. His website is Pioneer Homes US, which is also in the show notes page. So with that being said, Al, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks a lot for having me, Joe. I've been looking forward to it. I actually got into real estate in 2009. I graduated college, CMU, Fire Up Chips. And I was living in my parents' basement. And my dad was not the kind of guy that <laughs> liked having that going on. So I think I was home for about three or four months and he just sat down and said, look, man, you got to figure something out. So I had always wanted to get into real estate. I just never really understood how or what to do. So I just kind of took a plunge and went out and and I raised some funds and and I bought my first fix and flip. I did that back in 2009. Bought my first property for $27,000. I did all the work myself. I guess you could say I learned the hard way doing that. I flipped it. I think we sold it about four months after we purchased it. It was a 90-day renovation and about 30 days to sell. So at the time, I think I was 22 years old and we cleared about 16000 bucks. And I said, man, this is kind of cool. I was kind of like my own boss. I was doing whatever I wanted to do. And that's kind of where I got into the business. And that kind of transitioned us into the turnkey model, which kind of developed in about 2010 for us. We were just kind of in the market. I always say we got lucky. It was just good timing. And being local Detroit guys, that model just kind of fell into our lap. And the rest is kind of history, really. Mm -hmm. Are your turnkeys in Detroit? Yes. About 90% of what we do is in Detroit. We were doing a lot more in the suburbs a few years back, but the market's kind of shifted. And we don't see as much value there anymore. But yeah, we do about 90 95% now is in Detroit. Pros and cons of investing in Detroit. Pros and cons. Pros is definitely going to be the price points. The ROIs are significantly higher than the rest of the country. I think there's a ton of value still to be had. Last week, we're walking through properties that we could be all in at 40 to 50K that will appraise in today's market for 80 to 100K. So I think there's a lot of opportunity for instant equity in certain parts of the city. I think there's obviously the high ROI as well. Cons, I think if you're not careful with where you are, you're definitely going to be liable for some vandalism and theft like that because that's a real thing in Detroit if you're not careful where you are. But I'd say that's probably the biggest con. Where do you need to be? What areas? We try to stay on the the northwest side of Detroit. We hone in on about six or seven different zip codes. East side, there's a couple small pockets we like. East English Village, that's kind of one of those areas I was talking about last week we were walking through. It's one of the few areas on the east side that we invest in. So between that and the west side, we try to stick to the west side for the most part. When you talk to potential clients who have only heard about Detroit through probably negative means, what's that conversation sound like? And when they do invest, why do they ultimately invest? It's really just media-driven negativity. This isn't something that they've experienced themselves. So it's just like a false image that they have. And I'd say 90% of people that come here end up investing. I don't think people expect to see what they see when they get here. And I think that's one thing that kind of makes them get over that hurdle. But I don't know. I guess we call them our investment consultants. 
they really take the time to educate the people that don't want to come visit. So the sales cycle is extremely long. 60 to 90 days is pretty common. So I think they're just comfortable that we spend that much time with them over the phone and educate them about the city as much as possible. We like to share info about the market as well. So there's just a lot of things I think that kind of go into that. But ultimately, the easiest sale is when they come here. They come and we show them certain parts of the city and they just, a lot of people have never been here, are shocked to see what they see in certain parts. We'll show them the good and the bad. I'm not going to sit here and say there's not bad parts in Detroit because there are, but we just try to avoid those areas. Let's talk about your business. How do you stand out from other turnkey providers? Great question. There's definitely some competition here. I think it's just the time that we spend with our clients. I'm not going to bash any of the clients or competitors because I think they're all great in their own ways, but I think that some people just want to be educated a lot before they decide to make this decision. So I'd argue that our sales guys are pretty thorough with our clients. And then obviously our product, I think, is definitely top tier to our competitors. We know where to be in Detroit. So I think just the communication thing, and obviously after the sale too, we really try to stay in contact with our clients if they have any issues. Sometimes there might be some paperwork blips with property management. So we try to help them get through those hurdles as well. So I think those are the kind of a handful of those issues of why we kind of stand apart. And how do you make money on the business? Our profit is built into the purchase price of our property. So we buy it for X, we put X into it, and then we sell it with our profit built in. And do you manage it too? No, we have third party. I actually did property management for the first five years we were in business, and then I realized it's not profitable. And it was really more of a quality control for our clients, but it just kind of became a drag and it was really just kind of a money pit for the company. So I got out of that about four years ago and now we just refer it all to third party. Do you have one third party you work with? There's a couple we work with because if we have a really big month, I try not to shift too many properties at one company at any given time just to ensure that everything gets handled properly. Nobody will tell you that they can't handle it, but we've kind of learned that... <laughs> there is a breaking point for sure on what they can take in at any given point. On that note, on the breaking point for what a property management company can take in, what were some things that you noticed slipping through the cracks that normally wouldn't if you didn't inundate them with a bunch of properties that they're bringing on for the month? I'd say the number one thing is just getting in contact with the tenants on a timely basis. You know, a lot of the companies that we've screened, they would get really hung up on the paperwork and they wouldn't want to contact anybody until the paperwork is signed. And sometimes when we sell a house, we have clients that work 70 hours a week. They travel to different countries or out of the country or out of state. And sometimes they can't get to that. So we were seeing a PMA, a property management agreement, not be signed for 30 days. And the next thing you know, we have a tenant who hasn't been contacted in 30 to 45 days. So I think the biggest thing, and for me, and I'm not sure about you guys in your market, but here, my most important part of this whole process is the transfer. So when we give a file to the manager, my number one thing is to get in contact with the tenants right away. And I think for us at least, because we also buy properties that are already turnkey. So we might buy properties from a landlord that's retiring or something like that. So for me, I think it's really the contact with the tenant to make sure that they stay on pace with everything. Yeah, I'd say that would be from a business owner standpoint, if I'm you, that seems like that's the huge variable for you and growing your business 
because if your client has a poor experience with the third-party management company, the house could be great, but then the management company just totally blows it on who they put into the property or how they retain that person or how they screen the future person or they don't address certain maintenance issues, then that just seems like that could be a big headache for you and that could cost you some business. Right, absolutely. This is our screening conversation when we're looking for new managers. As I said, the number one thing that we need is that when we give you a file, you need to contact these tenants within 24 to 48 hours because a week goes by, two weeks go by, and they have some maintenance issues, rents due, and then they try to call somebody and they can't get a hold of anybody then red flags start going up. And we've had tenants leave on us just for that simple little thing. So yeah, when you're doing volume, there's going to be that little tiny percentage of issues. And that's usually the number one issue is the kind of lack in the management process. So we've really tried to hone it and try to perfect it. I mean, we're not perfect, but I'd say we can do as good as we possibly can with that part. How many deals are you selling a year? We're pacing probably to do about 250 this year. I try to hit between 15 and 20 a month. That's kind of our goal. Obviously, we have months where we succeed that and then other months that we don't, but we're pacing to do about 250 this year. That's a whole lot of deals. And you're talking about you're buying, renovating, and selling them as turnkeys about 20 a month or so? Yeah, we do about... Uh, I'd say about 60% is already turnkey. We buy a lot of property as is, and then the rest would be the turnkey renovations, correct. What type of process do you have, if any, with your clients who purchase the property and then after the purchase, hand them off to the third-party management company? Do you have some sort of process to follow up with them later? Well, our sales guys know to, to keep in touch with them. And a lot of our clients are longtime clients. So I wouldn't call it a specific process. It's more of just a relationship thing because we've learned that if you maintain these relationships with these people and you don't just sell them a house and say, hey, it's great to meet you. Good luck. There's always that repeat business. We had a guy bought a house from us early in the year last year and my sales guy just kept a relationship with them. Not try to sell them anything, just, hey, checking in, how you're doing? How's your family? I think they had a, had a similar interest in sports, so they kind of chatted about that. And next thing you know, the guy had saved up some cash and bought another property. So it's really not a specific process per se. I think it's more about just, hey, look, build relationships with your clients. And for me, that's always been the best way to do business. So I'd say that's what we do with that. The biggest challenge that you have right now is what? Biggest challenge, I'd like to say inventory, but it's usually not inventory. Detroit's a really big place. I think really it's just some of the people in Detroit, some of our competitors, I don't want to call them competitors, but they're in every market. The guys that think they're wholesalers and they market properties at just crazy prices. When we're selling houses at 45 to 50K, these guys are sending lists out with properties for 25 and 30K. And it's just a real struggle because people see that and they just think that's the market. So they want properties for that price. And we just really don't do that. Yeah. We come across deals from time to time, but I think that's probably our biggest. If I talked to our team, that's probably the number one thing mm -hmm. if I had to, had to pick. What do you do to help mitigate the damage that that could have on your listings at the price points you have? Well, we kind of pull comparisons. 
hey, go look at the Google Maps Street View. Go pull up Trulia and look at the surrounding values where I'm never one to use Trulia, but if you pull up a property and there's houses in the area at, at 10, 15 grand, majority of that, and then you go pull up one of our properties and there's houses in the 50s and 70s, you can just see it's a totally different property. It's a totally different asset. It's not apples to apples. So, and the number one thing really is say, look, I think you should come and look at them both. We'll take you to that property and we'll take you to ours and you can just see it for yourself. And it's funny because a lot of people don't want to do that. They just want to <laughs> buy it sight unseen. And we turn away a lot of business, Joe. There's a lot of people who say, look, we can't compete with that. I don't want to put our name on that product. So a lot of times we'll just let the business walk away because sometimes it's a really hard pitch to get them to understand that. Based on your experience as a real estate investor, what is your best real estate investing advice ever? Best advice ever. It's a good one. So the best ever listeners will like this, I guess. It's really basic. I think no matter where you are, you have to do your due diligence. I've seen so many investors lose their shirt because they do not do their due diligence. And maybe that's just a very simple, basic answer, but it's such a major thing in the process. Obviously, price is one of them, but I think the due diligence part, inspections and title work and all that stuff, that to me, especially if you're kind of getting into real estate, I know when I first got into it, I didn't even know what due diligence was. I'd walk through a property and think I can just go to a title company and close. But I think the due diligence, inspections, title work is huge. For me, if you're just getting into it, I think that's kind of a big deal for sure. Tell us a story about when due diligence played a major role in the acquisition of a property. Yeah, absolutely. Back in the day before we were good at this, it happened all the time. Buying properties on quick claim deed, there was a time we bought, I think it was a five pack. This had to be in the very beginning, first year, maybe year, year and a half in the business. Buying a house on quick claim deed, I think at the time, the prices were so cheap back then. I want to say we bought a five pack for like 55 or 60K and hey, there's back taxes. Hey, there's water bills. Hey, there's... <laughs> tax title. So you have to either quiet title or you do not get title insurance. That happened to us before. I'd say that was probably early on one of the bigger mistakes that we made, just buying a property without understanding the title side of things. Would you say that back taxes and water bills are more prevalent in Detroit that will come up in due diligence compared to other markets? Well, it's hard to say. I haven't done much business in other markets. So I'm not sure. I'd say because of what happened in Detroit, what was it? There were 140,000 foreclosures when this whole thing hit the fan back in 07 through 09. So to put it into perspective, there were on average 20 to 25,000 tax foreclosed properties in the Wayne County auction every year. Mm. The most recent tax auction, there was only 6,500 properties. So it's all getting cycled through. So I think five years ago, Absolutely. I'd say mm -hmm. probably the number one in the country. But today, it might be more than average. I, I couldn't say it's more than any market, but right. it's probably higher than the average. Yeah. It was a poorly worded question. I should have asked you just relative to the properties you're buying, are there a lot of back taxes and water bills? Because you're in Detroit, you've been investing in Detroit, so you're not aware of other markets. But you answered it. You made my stupid question into a, <laughs> no. into a smart answer. So no, thank you for that. No, it's all good. I'd say maybe 20 to 30% of our properties that we buy have more than two years delinquent. Okay. 
Got it. And I'm not sure. It might be different in every market. Here, it's after three years, you're subject to foreclosure. So we rarely see more than that. Mm-hmm. Ready for the best ever lightning round? I'm ready, man. All right, let's do it. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. Today's sponsor, Patch of Land, has got the document for you that you've got to check out if you're a fix and flipper. They show you how a higher interest rate can actually deliver a lower cost to your fix and flip loan. And conversely, how a lower interest rate could deliver a higher cost to your fix and flip loan. Needless to say, you got to know this stuff to identify the best loan terms. Go to patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. Get this document, patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. The Corporate Investor Podcast is geared towards successful corporate employees with high income jobs looking to create a second stream of income. You'll hear from successful real estate investors on the show as they describe how they got started investing while working their full-time corporate job. Listen and subscribe at thecorporateinvestor.com. That's thecorporateinvestor.com. Best ever book you've read? Profit First by Mike McAllowitz. Best ever deal you've done? So this is a tough one. There's two of them. And I'm going to talk about the first one because it was the first time I really did a creative deal. It was a package of 11 duplex units. So in Detroit, a duplex, they're side by side and they're actually two separate parcel IDs. So you can buy and sell each half individually. There's a package of 11, I believe four of the units were actually side by side. So we actually bought the package, sold off the two buildings that were attached, profited enough to actually pay for the other seven units free and clear. And we had seven free and clear units with cash flowing tenants basically for free. And I say that's my best because it was one of the first deals we did that was very creative like that. And I, to this day, I always loved that deal. Oh, absolutely. Do you still have those seven? No, we sold those probably about two years ago. Okay. And when you sell them for your own personal investing, what's the reason to sell them? What do you do with that cash? At the time, I think I was just trying to get into some better assets at that time. So two years ago, I probably just put it back into the turnkey business and used it to basically flip some more properties. Mm-hmm. And do you currently take some of the profits from the turnkey business and then buy rental properties for your own portfolio? Yes, I kind of do that model. I like to buy property from some of our profits. So if we flip 10 houses, sometimes I might just maybe keep one of them. It's almost kind of like a no cash out of pocket, really. There's obvious opportunity costs there, but do that as well for sure. What's a mistake you've made on a transaction? In real estate as a whole, I still, to this day, have the bigger mistakes is selling some of the assets that we owned. Even those duplex units, I'd argue if I would have held on for a few more years, it'd be much more valuable. But mistakes, it's always probably a due diligence thing. We're doing so much volume. Sometimes something slips through and you kind of got to eat it, but it's always usually a due diligence thing. I don't think there's a deal that stands out that I'd say was like the worst deal we've ever done. What's the best ever way you like to give back? That's a good question. For me, I don't really have any formal way of giving back. I like to donate to our church around Christmas time more than average, but for me, we get a ton of people that reach out to us through social channels and other ways like that. People that obviously have never done anything in real estate. And I kind of make it a point to at least help a handful of people. I get a lot of kids. I'm a younger guy. So a lot of kids, 15, 16, 17, reach out to me through 
maybe Instagram. I'll just be really bold with them if I think they have a crappy sales pitch or their approach is bad. But I try to make a point, at least a couple kids a month, just to kind of give them a little bit of advice. Because I know back when I was 16, 17, even if I had one little tidbit of advice, it would help me out a long way. So I try to do that as much as I can each month. How can the best ever listeners get in touch with you? You can call the office. I'd say the easiest way would be through email. Email would be info at pioneerhomesus.com. Check out our website, pioneerhomesus.com and all of our social handles, but most of them are at pioneerhomesus. So I'd say those are the best ways. Congrats on building such a high volume business with 250 deals a year that you're rehabbing and then selling to clients across six continents. I did confirm via Google while we were talking that Antarctica is the seventh continent and you got to work on your Antarcticans. I don't know about the stats, but maybe I've got an Antarctica listener and there'll be a new client. If so, then let me know. That way I can claim to cover all seven continents and also the overall approach that you take with the due diligence lessons learned along the way the back taxes the water bills etc and then knowing where to invest in detroit where not to invest or at least an area where you need to go in eyes wide open so perhaps maybe you do invest but it's just an area where you go eyes wide open and where you choose to invest would be the west side and the northwest side in general it sounds like there are exceptions so thanks for being on the show al hope you have a best ever day and we'll talk to you soon joe i appreciate it man have a good day as well thank you the corporate investor podcast is geared towards successful corporate employees with high income jobs looking to create a second stream of income you'll hear from successful real estate investors on the show as they describe how they got started investing while working their full-time corporate job. Listen and subscribe at thecorporateinvestor.com. That's thecorporateinvestor.com.